0: So I think it's diametrically opposed to what was going on in the Bible times to the way we understand it today.
1: Last week on Christianity Still Makes Sense, we took some time to share how the church can better respond to and address the needs of the LGBTQ plus community without compromising their biblical convictions. Now, this week, we're gonna equip ourselves apologetically with the verses that the LGBTQ plus community can take out of context to validate their arguments. Now, it's important to know these verses and how to give a proper response. This isn't the first time people on the opposite side of an argument have Have both used the Bible to support their views. I mean, I think about the Civil War. Both abolitionists and those that were in favor of slavery were armed and ready with the Bible to defend their case. Similarly, today, there are many who are ready to leverage the scriptures to defend their side of the debate. Now, obviously, context is key to navigating these discussions, and that's exactly what we hope to do on today's program of Christianity Still Makes Sense. We hope to provide the proper context for interpreting what the Bible has to say about this hotly debated topic of sexuality. Bobby, you had a conversation last week on Pastor's Perspective with a trans man who brought up two verses for you to respond to, two verses that the trans community latches onto in support of their views. The first verse was Matthew
0: 19, 12. Discuss that along with your response. Sure, Tim. Matthew 19 and verse 12 talks about eunuchs, but the fuller context is about marriage. In fact, here is what the verse says. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and then there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, when we had the opportunity to talk to the trans man uh, who referred to himself as Reggie, when he called Pastor's Perspective on the show, uh, he wanted to know, how I would reply to Matthew 19 as it relates to eunuchs. And one of the things that I said that was important is that eunuchs in the Bible times, like the ones that we're looking at here, uh, the final unit that's discussed are the ones that make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. So I don't even know Tim, when that language is being used, if we're talking about a literal castration that happened, but rather somebody who lived a castrated life, they lived eunuch like for the sake of the kingdom. In other words, um, it wasn't that they thought that they were struggling with some form of gender dysphoria. It wasn't a, a woman feeling trapped uh in, in her body and thinking that she was a male. That's not what's happening here. Or wasn't a male thinking he's trapped in a male body, believing that he's a, a woman and therefore has to castrate himself. But rather what I think we're getting at here is the fact that there are some people who abstain from marriage. They abstain from a life of sexual intimacy. They live eunuch-like for the sake of the kingdom. That's a far stretch from today uh, what you see taking place. I don't see when people are thinking about going through a sex change They're like, Oh, I'm going to do this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, but no, I'm going to do this because it's going to help me to feel uh, more in sync. Uh, it's going to help me to be able to express myself sexually the way that I want to. So I think it's diametrically opposed to what was going on in the Bible times to the way we understand it today.
1: Well, the next verse that Reggie brought up was Galatians 3.28. And I want to play a little bit of a clip kind of of him explaining some of that argument and uh, kind of his position on, you know, his LGBT community community, uh, tie-ins and whatnot. So let's go ahead and check this clip out. And then I'd like you to respond uh, to what he said.
2: I'm really not really a gay pride, like go to the gay pride uh, festivals and stuff like that. That's not really me. And if I do go, um, I'm preaching. I'm telling them that that you guys are pushing them into the church. I'm trying to push them into church, and the church is trying to push them out. And I'm like, no, no, you are saved by the grace of God. You know what My go around saying? I was like, read Galatians 3.28. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, gay or straight, bond or free. In Christianity, you are all one. And that's what I want to preach. I want to preach love. I want to preach the promises. I'm not um, in a camp where... Uh, the gay people know me or the straight people know me. Mm. I want to be in a camp where God knows me. I'm not that, that, that's what I really don't like when people say, well, oh, you're a trans man. Now you're going through the change. I really didn't have much change. My body, my body, uh, rejected my female, um, parts. So, so I was born that way and being born in the seventies, <laughs> you know, that I was forced to be, a. a a female to the point where I almost killed myself several times. And so, um, but what saved me was God. And I found Galatians 3.28, I cling to it. I was like, well, that means me. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. They keep trying to make me a male or a female. And I'm, I'm a man, but no one sees that I'm a man.
1: So Bobby, uh, once again, re- respond to Reggie's uh, use of Galatians 3.28 there.
0: Yeah, well, we really enjoyed talking with Reggie. I mean, extremely passionate individual. Uh, and again, the conversation was pleasant if you listen to the whole uh, discussion that we had. But what I said to Reggie is, do you really think Galatians 3.28 is there to teach us that there's no such thing as a male or a female or that there's no such thing as a Jew or a a Gentile, like there's no different ethnicities or that there's no such thing as a slave or a master. I said, of course, that's not the purpose of the text. Uh, The purpose of Galatians 3.28 was not to eliminate categories, but rather to show that no categories are an obstacle to the gospel. And that is the important piece that I think that we are together from there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male and female for you are all one in christ in other words the ground is level at the cross Uh, there's no categories that uh, we can have put upon ourselves that would separate us from god for the one who wants to believe you can be a male or female you can be a jew or greek Uh, so your gender or your ethnicity or your social status slave or free any of those categories the lord can get a hold of and save such people but as you can see uh what reggie has done is taken a verse and removed it from its context to think that oh god doesn't care about you know whether or not we embrace our maleness or femaleness nothing could be further from the truth and so i think that's one of the problems and why we need to address these verses in context
1: well, again, I appreciated your dialogue with Reggie and you know, how you responded to some of that. But you know, having considered these two verses that the trans community might use, why don't you take a few minutes and share how some may go about uh, dismissing the more obvious verses against homosexuality. Sure,
0: that's a good point, Tim. Uh, there are verses they may use to support their case, uh, but then there are verses we'd use in support of our case, uh, which they deny. So for example, take the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. How would the LGBTQ plus community seek to understand it? chapter 19 of Genesis, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they do so by saying that homosexuality was not the sin that was judged, but a lack of hospitality. Now, let's remember the context of what's taking place in that story. You'll remember that Lot is living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and this place is completely debauched. You had a couple angels show up and basically say, get your family out of here because this place is hosed. Judgment is about to come. Well, the men of the city were out knocking on the door of Lot's house, and they were saying, you know, send out the angels, basically, so that we may know them. So that word know um, uh, can mean a sexual knowing, like Adam knew his wife Eve, But it can also mean, you know, to connect with, to be hospitable with. And so they'll say, look, Lot wasn't hospitable to, or or the people weren't hospitable to Lot's guests. And that's why they were judged. Well, do we really think that they were judged in such a harsh way uh, for just not being warm and friendly? No, I mean, they obviously wanted to seize these angels or men uh, that they, you know, appeared as men. They wanted to have sodomy with them. And that is the reason for the judgment. And so to take it and say it's a lack of hospitality is just a gross misunderstanding. Now, another verse that uh, will trouble the LGBTQ community would be verses like Leviticus eighteen twenty-two and Leviticus 20, verse 12. And you've extracted a quote from Brandon Robertson, who was being interviewed by Michael Brown. What's true,
3: though, is every reference, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, to what people say is homosexuality, when looked at in its cultural context, is clearly talking about idolatry. And I really do believe that if you just look in Leviticus, uh, in each of the passages that talks about where the statement, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman for this is an abomination, Directly preceding that, the context is the people of Israel are being called by God to not be like the pagan nations surrounding them. And those nations were committed to idolatry. And if anybody does a little bit of background study, both in the Greco-Roman world and in the ancient Egyptian culture, you'll find that people offered sexual sacrifices. um, And these sexual sacrifices were often pederastic, which would be modernly, we would understand that as pedophilia. And they were also just men and women who were priests and priestesses who would have sex as an offering to appease the goddess and the gods of these ancient pagan cultures. God was calling the people of Israel to separate themselves, to be different from those cultures. But those relationships, the kind of sexuality being expressed there is not what's being expressed by LGBT people in the world today. That was directly connected to idolatry. I think the same is true for when Paul's talking in Romans 1. His whole argument is based on the greek Roman culture descends into idolatry and then these perverse sexual practices begin to happen and those practices are interwoven into the idol worship of the Greek and the Roman gods and goddesses. So I think we just need to understand that what the scripture is talking about is objectively different than what I'm advocating for in the life that I live as an openly LGBT Christian who worships Jesus and not idols or images of gods and goddesses in stone.
1: Let's try to unpack a little bit of what uh, Brandon said there and respond to some of his argument, Bobby.
0: Yeah, the problem is there's a partial truth in that, right? I mean, you would have a lot of idolatrous and sexual connections taking place in temples and stuff like that, but that's not the only way to understand what's taking place uh, when the Bible's condemning um, homosexuality, for example, uh, in this section of scripture in Leviticus 18 or in Leviticus 20. I mean, the Bible in, in this place will also talk about bestiality, it'll talk about adultery. So, are we to say that those actions are only wrong when in conjunction with? idolatry? Well, of course not. There's a broader uh, application to that as well. So yes, it would be wrong to uh, partic- participate in any of those actions, bestiality, adultery, uh, homosexuality, uh, from an idolatry, idolatry standpoint, but even remove the idolatry standpoint of something taking place in a temple. Uh, it's still wrong if those actions are taking place. Now, this verse really bothered and disturbed actor Ian McKellen. We think of Lord of the Rings with Gandalf, uh, who is a gay uh, man who said, whenever I stay at a hotel, I always check to see if they have a Gideon Bible. And if they do, I tear out a page, says the openly gay actor. I turn to Leviticus 18.22 and rip out that page, which is directed against homosexuals. I think by now I must have ripped out a few hundred says the late McKellen. So interestingly enough, one of the arguments that they'll bring up is they'll say something like, Hey, uh, you know, we eat shellfish today. And in the book of Leviticus, it says avoid shellfish. Uh, So why are we being inconsistent? Like it's okay to eat shellfish today, but it wasn't okay to eat it then. But then we want to say it's still wrong. To uh, commit homosexual actions. We're being inconsistent. They'll say like, as it relates to food and sexuality, but we'll remember in Acts chapter 10 when Peter had a vision on the rooftop and he hears the words rise, kill and eat. And he says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And Jesus says, do not call unclean what I've made clean. So there was a dietary law and that was to depict clean and uncleanness like Jew and Gentile. And that through the cross and through the new covenant, eradicated that dietary law, but the moral law, uh, whereby you would see things such as adultery or homosexuality, is reinforced again. It's never eliminated or removed under the new covenant, and that becomes a real problem. Not only that, uh, when he mentions, uh, you know, Romans chapter one as another place relating to idolatry. I think Brandon Robertson misses that as well, because in Romans chapter one, uh, we've got several sins that are listed, okay, about 20 sins that are listed there. And one of the arguments that the homosexual community will say is, well, the reasons God gave them up is because they were doing what was unnatural to them. But if we're doing homosexual acts and it's natural to us, then that's um, not a problem. Well, first off, I don't know how many people are jumping in and doing something that's unnatural to them. In other words, if they don't have an appetite whatsoever for same-sex relationship and it's unnatural to them, I'm not sure they're going to e- even be able to perform, so to speak. Uh, I think about like you know myself as a heterosexual guy, uh, it, it'd be hard to do something that's unnatural to you. Uh, in that way. But I just think that the argument is really weak. Would we say, as it relates to all the other sins in the surrounding context, oh, as long as stealing feels natural, or as long as idolatry feels natural, or as long as gossip is natural, then those things are okay. It's if they're unnatural for me to do that. And so we're inconsistent because we're trying to force a sexual ethic of permissibility Onto the passage, and there's no place that we can make this work.
1: Yeah, I, you know, sin with our flesh is natural. That's the thing that we want to do, and it's only by th- you know the redemption right. of the Holy Spirit that we turn from that. You know, that again, the, the New Testament makes clear with that. I mean, I, again, I'd love to hear from our audience if our audience has any verses uh, that maybe we missed that you want to leave in the comments. Bobby's going to lay out some other ones here. What are some other verses that the gay community uses to support
0: their view? Well, one verse is in 2 Samuel 1, verse 26. Uh, They'll want to make a connection to say, looking at the relationship of Jonathan and David, that they were clearly homosexual. So you see the words where David says, I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan, very pleasant. Have you been to me? Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. And so some have said, oh, okay, well, this is referring to homosexuality. Well, why is it that the love has to be a sexual kind of love here. (laughs) Number one, like that is such a read uh, of eisegesis that we're really making an assumption here. And there's been lots of artwork that's been done to kind of depict Jonathan and David as homosexual. But I mean, to do that, you're just going to have to say, when you're looking at the word love, that it's referring to sexual love because he says it's surpassing the love of women. Uh, But I think what he's just saying is that there's an amazing loyalty that you have to me. Women, uh, you know, th- their love would be known as a loyal love. But Jonathan is represented that loyal love to him in the midst of a trying time. Think about it. His father Saul wanted him dead, and here Jonathan's protecting him. And he's saying, Man, you've done something that's very special and it means a lot.
1: Well, Matthew Vines is another person that has been very vocal Mm -hmm. in this debate, and he's written the book, God and the Gay Christian. And in that book, he uses Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20 as a proof text to kind of legitimize uh, same-sex love in the context of marriage. Bobby, can you discuss his argument and some of those verses?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that Matthew Vines, he, he was a Harvard student, left when he was 19, wrote God and the Gay Christian, and now he's kind of a founder of the Reformation Project that's trying to equip churches on how to address apologetically these verses in favor of the LGBTQ movement. And so uh, he had a debate with Sean McDowell. I'd encourage people to listen to that. I think Sean really handled him well, but also crushed him on the argument side of things. But again, in love. Uh, Vines wants to take the passage in the scripture from Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, as it relates to looking for fruit bearing in people's lives. And he said, you know, um, it causes bad fruit to disagree with the homosexual community. Like it damages them, it causes bad fruit. Well, to take these verses and leverage that for bad fruit, it's about false prophets and being aware of false prophets and recognizing the fruit that they're going to come with as false prophets. And how do you discern that? And so far from being an endorsement of homosexuality, I mean, would we apply the same reasoning um, if to reject stealing would harm the thief or to reject adultery would harm the adulterer or to reject murder or gossip would harm the murder or gossip? Uh, it's just a poor use of scripture again to try to force this issue and make it acceptable.
1: Totally. And I I love the way that you kind of just exposed his argument there. You just apply it to something else that I think we would all agree would be wrong and say, does this still work? And it it clearly doesn't. Uh, I I think another claim often kind of leveraged at the LGBTQ plus community is that the word homosexual didn't occur in English Bibles until 1948. There's actually a whole kind of movie trying to make this argument. Is that true? And if so, how might we respond?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, with the RSV, they're using uh, the word homosexual, and that was a challenge for some people. Uh, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what word that we use. We're just using a word that describes the Greek or the Hebrew language of what's taken place. And clearly, when you think of the Greek word uh arson, male, and koite, lying, it refers to a male lying with a male. So it is clearly referring to homosexual behavior. Use whatever term you want. Uh, other translations will talk about men lying with men. I think that's that's fine, but that's exactly what is implied anyway by homosexuality.
1: Well, let's kind of wrap up the show by giving us some communication principles that we should remember when we engage those who seek to use the Bible to permit things all LGBTQ+.
0: Sure, Uh, I think these conversations can be challenging and we want to stress the importance of interpreting the context faithfully. Uh, So that is a huge uh, dialogue point. Let's talk about the context. Let's not try to force our views on the Bible. Uh, Outside of that, I would say just some simple principles would be to speak the truth in love. We spent time on last week's episode stressing the importance of this. I would say secondly, remember the person you are talking to is not your enemy. This is still a person created in God's image. God doesn't need us to be mad at this person. God wants us to love this person. And so we need to remember that. I would say third, we wanna validate each other as much as we can without compromise. So we should be looking for ways as we're listening to validate what we can, but obviously we can't validate sin and we can't compromise on our biblical convictions, but we can validate how hard it might be for somebody to struggle with gender dysphoria. Or we can validate the pain that somebody must be experiencing from the rejection that they felt from a mom or dad for their sexual choices. So there's things that we look to validate because we're trying to build bridges, not burn them. And then finally, Tim, I would say, we need to agree to accept each other, whether we agree with one another or not. And I think that that is something that we're going to have to figure out in this culture. Uh, we're demanding, we're trying to force people to agree with us, uh, but that's just going to lead to persecution. I mean, it's never um, the the answer to force people to agree with us. Uh, we shouldn't do that to the LGBTQ community. We don't need to cram our gospel down their throat and we don't need them to cram uh, their agenda down our throat. What we need is to respect each other as fellow human beings, to grant love to one another, to listen to one another, and to be able to part ways in a respectable fashion if we do not tend to agree with one another when all said and done.
1: Well, Bobby, any final thoughts for us today?
0: Tim, no, I think this was a, uh, an important program. There's just a lot going on every month in June in particular. And as Christians and Christian apologists in particular, uh, we need to be a voice uh, uh, and be able to put out what the Bible has to say and encourage the church to stand strong in these trying times. Well, amen to that. Well, can a homosexual
1: go to heaven? Well, for the answer to that, check out video 745 on our YouTube channel or click right here. I look forward to meeting you on the next episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at christianitystillmakessense.com. This is a listener supported show and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.